Wow, we had an amazing mm -hmm. conference. Really and did. if you were not able to be here, we didn't want to keep everything for ourselves. And so I just want to welcome all of our campuses because tonight and, and today we have an amazing guest with us. We have Lisa Harper. And I, yes, yes. So I just want to encourage you to take, find a place to take notes. Get your phone out, get your journal out from the conference, get something out because I know that Lisa has a specific word for us tonight. She has a message for our church today. And so I just wanna encourage you and welcome my friend, Lisa Harper. We are so excited to be with you. I'm, I'm with my best friend, Christine Kane. I told her, she's preaching in the evening service. I, I told her, I said, family isn't just in the name of their church. They are family. And so I said, you've got to come. And she was telling me last night, she was like, I see why you love them so much. So gentlemen, even though we had an estrogen festival, we love you too. So thank you for putting up with us tonight. Um, would you reach out and touch that saint next to you? Gentlemen, remember you're in church. So if it's your wife, don't touch her too much. Just reach out and lightly, very spiritually touch the person next to you. We're gonna pray that God would bless this time we have to dive into his word together. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Thank you that we still live in a country that uh, we don't have to worry about being arrested. When we come together to focus our attention and our affection on you, thank you for the common grace you still have over this country, over the great state of Florida. Lord, thank you that you're not a faraway God, that you're an up-close, first-personal Savior. We praise you for that promise where you say, if we seek you with all our hearts, you will be found by us. And Jesus, I, I praise you even more for that promise in Isaiah where you said, so great is your compassion for us that you even reveal yourself to people who aren't seeking you. Uh, Lord, I pray you give us wider eyes to see your compassion tonight, to recognize your nearness, to relax in the fact that it's not all up to us, that we are not saved, we are not sanctified based on our behavior, but it's based on your character Thank you that you are a good God, that you've always been a good God. You've always loved us. You're still wooing us and pursuing us. So uh, Lord, I pray that you would, you would be with us tonight in a way that jars us redemptively. Lord, that we would be undone by your kindness tonight because of this, um, this love letter called the Bible and because of the presence of your Holy Spirit. And we will be careful to give you and you alone um, all the honor and the glory for what you do. Um, in this communion, this family meeting tonight. And all of God's people said, amen. I would be remiss if I didn't think, Pastor Craig, I feel kind of like a donkey at the Kentucky Derby to have you on the front row and me up here. Feels a little awkward, but God tends to use donkeys and rocks, so I'm gonna run with it. Um, if you brought your Bibles, we're gonna start in Luke's gospel. But before we dive into Luke's gospel, I wanna tell you the, uh, something that happened to me not long ago that set me up to love this story. Um, I don't wanna be too colorful here. We've been with women all weekend, so uh, my apologies, gentlemen, if I say something that's just a little bit off. I'll put it like this. When I got to my late 40s, I got a special new spiritual gift called projectile perspiration. And 
I just became hot all the time. And a couple of years ago, I woke up um, very, very early in the morning because I was in a pool of my own making. And I thought, I'm going to go ahead and, and get out of bed, and I'm going to go to the kitchen, and I'm going to make some coffee because maybe if I drink really, really hot coffee, it'll trick my body into cooling down, kind of like a sauna. And so I went in the kitchen. There was just one little bit of beans left, so I was able to make just one last cup of coffee. So I carried this precious brew over to my, my island in my kitchen, and I went to sit down, and I got my bar stools from the Restoration Hardware outlet. I can't afford regular Restoration Hardware. And I realized after I bought these from the outlet why they were at the outlet, because they're Kareem Abdul-Jabbar stools. They're about this high. And no normal person can get in it. And so I had my coffee and their leather and I was sweaty and I was trying to get myself up on the stool and I slipped. And when I slipped, all my precious coffee spilt all over the kitchen island. And, and I said a word that might not be in the Bible. And then I realized all these papers that were on the kitchen island, the coffee had ruined. And at first I thought they were bills. And then I realized, oh my goodness, those weren't bills. That's Missy's homeschool homework. Um, I became a mom through the miracle of adoption at the age of 50. And for about a year, I thought I should homeschool her. And then I came out of that coma. But this was... <laughs> This was during that period when I thought it would be a good idea as a single mother who travels to homeschool my child who didn't speak English at the time. She's from Haiti. But I realized I've ruined all of her homework. And this came from one of those special tutorials that I don't have access to because we live in the boonies and don't have Wi-Fi. And I thought, oh, my goodness, I can't recreate this homework for the day. And very quickly, sin entered my mind and heart. And I thought, you know, since I'm the principal... I think we'll just change curriculum for the day and we'll go to the mall and do a little lesson on capitalism. And so as soon as Missy woke up, I told her we were going to the mall, but we were going to go buy Starbucks first because mama needed some go-go juice. Now, I know this does not happen in Florida. I'm actually from Orlando, so I'm a Florida fan. Lived in Tennessee for 30 years, which is why I sound like I was raised in a barn now. But um, in Tennessee, Nashville specifically, where I live, we have lots and lots and lots and lots of people who move to Nashville who, who really believe they are tremendously gifted musically. And they think if they'll come to Nashville within a month, they'll get a record deal and a Grammy. And then they become very embittered when this does not happen on their, on their calendar. And they usually work at coffee shops and they're hateful, um, these wannabe musicians. And as soon as I made my order in the squat box, I knew I had one of those hateful baristas who wanted to be a singer, a star. And, and I thought, well, I'm going to be a Christian even though he's hateful when I made my order. I order the same coffee drink all year long. I get a non-fat mocha with whipped cream because um, I feel like the non-fat and whipped cream kind of balance each other out. It becomes very keto if I just get them together. So in the summer, I get it iced. Winter, I get it extra hot. This was winter. I got it extra hot. He was mean. I thought, I'm going to go ahead and drive around to the window and get my coffee, and I'm going to just encourage him with, with the grace and the living hope of Jesus Christ. And so I get to the window, and I'm trying to be friendly with this guy, and I notice he was wearing crop pants. Now, this, is, this has nothing to do with Grace Family. This is just me. It's not in the Bible. This is my opinion. I don't think hateful, slim men should wear crop pants. I think it's unattractive. 
And I think if you're below the age of three and you're a man, you can wear pants that are cut off right there. But if you're grown and if you've been through puberty, I think it, it, it actually is not a good look. And I'm sorry, your girlfriend has not told you that. But this gentleman was unkind. He was very, very, very small. And he was wearing crop pants. And I thought, you know, you need to pick one. Um, that's like being a bad driver and driving a smart car. That's just like pick one. But I was still determined to be Christian-y to him. I was going to give him a tip. And he just wasn't having it. He was really hateful. And he shoves my drink out of the little cubby. And when he did, I took the drink. And I realized later he purposely, because he was hateful, had not secured the lid on top of the cup. And so when I grabbed the drink, all of that extra hot mucus spilled in my lap. And it had already been a rough day. And, and so I said another word that's not in the Bible in front of my child, who's this great, great gift. Pastor Craig, you're going to have to clean up all this heresy real soon. But I, I said a, a word that, that I'm not proud. I said, I'm not going to tell you what it was since we're in church, um, but it rhymes with wit. And when I said that word... Missy began to sing it. Missy learned music, um, learned English through music. She, she sang all her words. She's from Haiti. She spoke Creole. And she just immediately began singing that horrible word. And her favorite song that season, we listened to Christian music, even though Mama's a rat fink. We listened to Christian music in the car. And she loved Chris Tomlin's song, You're a Good, Good Father. And so as soon as she began singing that word, I went, no, no, baby, no, no. That's not what mama said. Mama, mama said, you're, you're a good, good coffee cup. So sit right here, sit right here. And in that moment, I sensed God's spirit say, Lisa, it's not even nine o'clock. And you have already sinned like 15 times. And you've committed song piracy right here in Music City. And I was like, I am so sorry. You know those days that you go, this is just a no good, terrible, horrible, hard day. I'm so reminded today of why we need Jesus every day. Of why Paul says you need to be re-gospeled all the time. Once you're saved, you're always saved. You're in the hand of God. But man, some days I, I'm so especially grateful that he doesn't withhold his grace once I'm saved. That every single day there's new mercies. I feel like the last two years I've needed fresh mercy. Um, I know y'all haven't experienced everything the rest of the country has experienced. Uh, when it comes to certain things, I won't be political. But, um, but it's just been tough. And right after COVID started, y'all remember March two years ago? Remember when everything hit? I remember thinking, man, this is going to be like Super Bowl for Christians. We're going to be catapulting toilet paper into our neighbor's backyards. You know, we're going to be a city set on a hill. And by April, I was like, I'm never wearing pants with zippers again. <laughs> and then a very, very, very dear person to our family committed suicide partly as a result of the financial breakdown of COVID and and I felt like that just kind of knocked another leg out from under my stool and I found myself in the season about a year and a half ago of going Jesus I just I feel like every day is a no good horrible bad day I am I'm running out of steam here 
And I know it's audacious for me to ask you for something fresh, but I, I, I need something. I feel like I'm at the end of my rope holding on to a knot and I just, I need something tangible. I know that you are holy God, you're transcendent. I'm not having a crisis of faith with regards to my theology, but man, my heart has just all but run out of steam. I don't know if you've been there, but I was there for a season and I was asking the Lord for something fresh and I've never heard God's audible voice. Um, I hear his voice so loudly through his word and through his spirit and through Holy Spirit, I sensed God say, I want you to go back to Luke, to the beginning of Luke. And I thought, Lord, it's April. It's not Christmas. Why am I gonna go to Luke? And you know, sometimes his voice is unmistakable. And it was like, just trust me, go to Luke. And I was like, yes, sir. So I went to Luke. Y'all know this passage, even if you don't come to church that often. You know, we've all heard Mariah sing about this in the mall. Luke chapter one, verse 26. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joe of the house of David and the virgin's name was Mary and he came to her so a nine foot glowing being came to a 12 year old and said greetings O favored one the Lord is with you but she was greatly troubled and said well I guess so you know she's my daughter's age she's in the sixth grade and a glowing angel appears and says Mary the Lord has chosen you to be the mother of the most high king. And she was greatly troubled. And she was like, Gabe, I've, I've never even been to prom. Yeah, I'm just in the sixth grade. I'm taking a tiny bit of liberty with the Greek here, the original language of Luke chapter one, but that's essentially her response. We, we kind of deify Mary in a lot of Advent plays and make her this glowy 35 year old. She's a kid. And an angel comes to her and says, I've chosen you. Surely she was just a little bit flabbergasted. And she says, how is this gonna happen? And the angel said to her, don't be afraid. Mary, for you have found favor with God and behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the son of the most high and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom, there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, how will this be since I, have a, I am a virgin and I've never even played spin the bottle? How, how in the world is this gonna happen? And the Holy Spirit through the angel answers Mary and says, the Holy Spirit will come Upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will call, be called Holy Hagon, the Son of God. I love when you kind of dig into Scripture. It's wonderful at face value, but when you get context, oh my goodness, it's incredible. You know, this is a love story from cover to cover. One of my favorite theologians, D.A. Carson, says any text without a context is a pretext for a proof text. In other words, you need to understand the original audience, what was being said. The angel says to this 12 year old, I know this is gonna be hard to understand, but the Holy Spirit, the Pericle, God's emissary, God himself, because he's a triune God, he's gonna come upon you. 
And he uses a word in the Greek that means he's gonna draw beside you. Now, in our culture, 21st century American culture, when you hear the virgin birth, we immediately think Judeo-Christianity. We immediately go, oh, that's part of their foundational wall of orthodoxy is the virgin birth. But that's not what you would have thought if you were hearing this story in the first century. Because in the first century, under Greco-Roman rule, a lot of people believed in the, the gods, a hundred gods of Greek mythology. And they believed that some of these gods, Zeus in particular, had the reputation as a player. They believed that some of these gods had relations with human beings and that those women, after they had dated a god, bore children and those children were half deity, half human. Anybody seen Wonder Woman? That's what that's based on. Anybody remember high school mythology? Remember uh, Perseids? Supposedly he's half human, half God. Remember Hercules, supposedly half human, half God. Now those are myths and I wanna make that real clear. But a lot of people in the first century thought that was true. And so the angel comes to this kid and says, let me make this really, really clear. You're not gonna date God. The Holy Spirit is actually gonna come beside you. There's gonna be no physicality that is untoward here. You see what a big deal that is? This isn't gonna be something that, that is, is something that in any way would breach your honor. The Holy Spirit is gonna come beside you and then you're gonna get pregnant. That word is really significant there. That, that word come upon you, it's epercomai. And it's not just used at Christmas, it's used at Pentecost too. If you go to Acts chapter one, Luke, Dr. Luke wrote the, the gospel according to Luke and the Acts of the Apostles. He's the only Gentile author of scripture. And he's got this wonderful, wonderful outsider's view. His books are riddled with compassion. He actually wrote those together. He wrote the, the gospel according to Luke and the Acts of the Apostles together. When they canonized scripture, they inserted John but he initially wrote them together, kind of like Star Wars and the Empire Strikes Back. And the theme of redemption in those books is just incredible. So at the end of Luke's gospel, he gives us Acts. In the beginning of Acts, most of you are good Pentecostals, you know this. He says, so when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you this time restore the kingdom to Israel? Do y'all remember the context here? Y'all can talk back, I'm not your pastor. Do y'all remember what was going on here? You remember Jesus, we've already had the, for we've not just had Christmas, we've had Easter. Jesus has stretched out his arms. He said, they're worth it to me. He has given up his life on a cross because he thinks we're worth it. And then he was put in a borrowed tomb. And then after three days, he resurrected. That's the first Easter. And then instead of shazamming straight to the right hand of God, the father, he knows what morons we are. So we stayed here for a month and he revealed himself to over a hundred people so that we would go, oh, he's alive. This wasn't a fairy tale, this wasn't a myth. He really is alive. When Tom said, how can I know that it's you? Jesus said, Thomas, touch where the stakes went in my wrist. Touch right here and you'll know it's me. So all that has taken place when we get to Acts chapter one, verse six, and the followers of Christ have gathered around Jesus. Uh, the apostles tell us it was a little over a hundred people. They've gathered around Jesus on a hill right outside of Jerusalem. And they say to him, Lord, 
Will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? In other words, we've been following you. We trust you. We believe God sent you to us, but we're still a little confused. And so we're assuming you're going to become a human natural king and you're going to redeem us out from under the oppression of Rome. When is that going to happen? When are our lives going to get a little easier? When are the economic sanctions going to lift? When, if you're not in Florida, do we have to wear masks anymore? When they're asking all these these circumstantial questions and Jesus says, y'all don't get it yet. It's not about today. It's about forever. And then he goes on to use that word. He says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and even Ebor City. When the Holy Spirit has come upon you, same word, y'all, exact same word, epikomai, used at Christmas and at Pentecost. And y'all remember Pentecost, it was a big deal during this era of history. This is like the Super Bowl or the annual shoe sale at Nordstrom's. All the Jews come to Jerusalem to celebrate. In this first century, Pentecost had come to represent when God gave Moses the law on Mount Sinai. So Jews come from all over the diaspora. And that's just a fancy seminary word that means they came from outside geopolitical Israel. So they've come from all over the ancient Near East. They've come from other countries. They don't speak the same language. Luke tells us at least 11 countries with different languages are represented at that big Pentecost party in Acts chapter 1 and 2. And after the Holy Spirit has drawn close has come alongside this motley crew of believers, these few who believe Jesus really was the Christ, not just a rabbi. Holy Spirit comes alongside them, epicomize them. And whether you are Pentecostal or Presbyterian, regardless of what your belief is about ecstatic speech, which we would call tongues, it says the Holy Spirit comes alongside them. They speak in tongues. There's two different words for tongues in the New Testament, xenolalia and glossalia. Well, one of them means ecstatic speech. One of them means that you speak in a known tongue that you didn't know previously. What happens is these guys, most of them completely uneducated. They're the Amhaerts. They're illiterate. The Holy Spirit epicomized them. And they begin to talk about Jesus in a language they haven't studied. They don't even have that app on their iPhone. They just all of a sudden start speaking in other languages, telling about the hope of Jesus Christ. And these people who've come to Jerusalem from all over the world who do not speak Greek, they don't speak Aramaic, all of a sudden they go, oh, that's the gospel. It'd be like all of a sudden if you were hanging out at Cheesecake Factory with all of your friends who were all from Tampa and all of them spoke English and you had a visitor from Brazil and they spoke Portuguese and all of a sudden one of your friends after having some queso went and just started talking about Jesus in Portuguese. And they went, I I didn't know I knew Portuguese. Now, it's an epic miracle, just like Mary. He said, I'm going to take a 12-year-old. And he wasn't asking for her fertility. He was just asking for her faith. I'm going to do the work, Mary. The Holy Spirit is going to epicomai you, and you're going to give birth to the Christ. Motley crew, 100-ish 
Young believers, they don't get it based on the question they asked Jesus. He says, the Holy Spirit is gonna epicomai you and I'm gonna bring clarity out of chaos. There's no way y'all would know these other 11 languages, but you're gonna speak the hope of Jesus Christ clearly because I love you so much. I'm not asking for your potential. I'm asking for your faith. I've heard one too many times in the last few years, if you'll just bring your potential to God, he'll breathe on it and power will reign. That's not even biblically defensible. If you really study the Bible, he says, you bring your nothing special to me, I'll breathe on it and it'll become supernatural. I'll bring vibrancy out of void. I can't wait for y'all to hear Chris preach. If you thought you were just coming here and you're going to dinner, just stay for the second service. You... I'm telling you, it's like drinking grace from a fire hose. She's one of the most gifted preachers I've ever heard. Chris will tell you that God didn't just epicomai at Christmas and Pentecost. He's done it from the beginning of time. Chris will tell you that God burped and out came the universe. Um, that's not that's not like really kosher to talk about in church, but it's close to theologically accurate. Because if you look at Genesis 1, seven times it says, and God spoke, he breathed, and boom, the world that we can see and experience was born. All he did was breathe. The only time he used substance was when he created man. He used the dust of the earth. He made us different. We're a Mago day. All of us bear his thumbprint. Brad and Angelina did not start social justice. God did. He said, all of you bear my thumbprint. That means regardless of gender or ethnicity or cultural background, all of you are precious to me. Every single human being is inherently worthy of dignity. So you see God breathing. He breathes pure light out of pitch block in Genesis 1. You flip over a few pages and he speaks to this octogenarian couple. And he says, I know y'all are both wearing Depends, but you're gonna have to go to Costco and get Pampers. I'm gonna breathe on you and you're gonna give birth to a nation. And then we get to Ezekiel. I have loved Ezekiel 37 since I was a kid, but never more so than the last year because the Monday after Easter, I was hospitalized with covid and I'm old school. Um, I wasn't allowed to skip school when I was a kid unless I cut an artery. My mama would say, you're fine. Get your tail to school. And so I've never been one to stay home sick. I thought if I got COVID, shoot, just take a Tylenol and drink a Diet Coke. You'll be fine. Don't be a sissy baby. And um, I was actually with Chris. Um, I didn't give it to her. She's Greek. She didn't get anything. Um, <laughs> I was with some friends and I got sick and initially they thought I just had a really severe case of bronchitis and then that turned to pneumonia and I thought I would be fine and because I'm old school, I, I certainly get, didn't get tested, much less go to a doctor. And so by the time they finally took me to the hospital, the pneumonia in my lungs had morphed into a unique kind of pneumonia that causes opaque glass syndrome. That means all of the infection in your lungs crystallizes and it eviscerates the soft tissue. And so by the time I got to the hospital, I was unconscious most of the time and I was so tired when I could hear, I couldn't open my eyes. And so two of the medical personnel thought I was unconscious when they began to discuss the fact that they probably weren't gonna be able to stabilize me. And uh, I probably wasn't gonna make it through the next 24 hours. 
And y'all, at first I thought, wow, this is what peace with God feels like. The Bible says absent from the body, present with Jesus. And I thought, wow, this is, this is what peace with God feels like. And I was so faithful for about 45 seconds. <laughs> and then I started telling God what a better plan would be. I said, God, Missy's, Missy's only 11 and her first mama died of AIDS and Missy didn't even get to know her. And she's too little to be orphaned a second time. If you'll just give me a few more years, you can take me whenever you want to take me, but at least let Missy be a young adult. I'm a single mom, 1-800-588, please call Lisa for a date. Um, <laughs> if you know a gentleman over 50 who has a job, um, I was like, Lord, she's, she's too little. She's too little. And y'all, I heard the Lord as loud as if he was speaking audibly in my hospital room by myself. They wouldn't come in back then. One guy came in in a full Dustin Hoffman hazmat suit. And he was like, may I help you? And I was like, don't touch anything. You're going to kill me. Because he had all the stuff all over him. I was completely by myself, completely isolated. And I heard the voice of God and he said, Lisa, I've got her. I've got her. I love her more than you love her. And I was like, oh, yes, sir, I forgot. I, I forgot. I love that so many of the saints in scripture had really hard days too. If all of these people were always faithful and had high metabolisms, I would be depressed. But they're just like us, y'all. Even the apostles forgot they ran really low on faith during difficult seasons when they couldn't see around the corner. The hand of the Lord was upon me and he brought me out in the spirit of the Lord and sent me down in the middle of the valley and it was full of bones. And he led me around among them and behold, there were very many on the surface of the valley and behold, they were very dry. And he said to me, son of man, can these bones live? And I answered, oh Lord God, you know. I love verse three. I love verse three because you know what Ezekiel says? I don't know. I don't know. He's just like that daddy of the sick boy in Mark's gospel when he said, I believe, but you've got to help me in my unbelief. Jesus, I believe you're my hope, but I'm dying today. I'm scared today. I'm afraid I'm going to lose my boy. Ezekiel goes, I believe Yahweh that you are I am, but all I see is bones. Lord, you know, you know, I love that he's not playing here. I love that he doesn't pretend to be hyper-spiritual here. I was at a women's conference not too long ago that wasn't like beautiful. It was filled with a bunch of stiff women. I won't tell you where it was. And I asked one woman how I could pray for her. And she said, oh no, I don't need prayer. And I was like, you're about to. <laughs> After I kick you in the shins for being a liar. Don't you love it when people are honest, not airing their dirty laundry, but they just go, I, I need prayer today. I'm struggling today. That's why Zoom church isn't enough. It's just not. It's not enough to just link 
onto a screen. We need to be together when we can. We need to go. I need somebody to carry the corner of my mat to the roof and lower me to Jesus. Oh, Lord God, you know I'm not so sure. Then God said to Ezekiel, verse 4, prophesy over these bones and say to them, oh, dry bones, Hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God to these bones. Behold, I will cause breath to enter you and you shall live and I will lay sinews upon you and will cause flesh to come upon you and cover you with skin and put breath in you and you shall live and you shall know that I am the Lord. So I prophesied as I was commanded. I couldn't see it. I wasn't even sure I believed it anymore, but I know God has always been good. So even when I don't understand my circumstances, I just did what he told me to do this morning at Beautiful. We talked about the fact that obedience, as Eugene Peterson describes it, is a long walk in the same direction. You won't always feel faith. Some days will be no good, horrible, really hard days, but you go, you know what? My God is faithful. When I look behind me, I recognize I've never seen his back. He has always been faithful. So I'm not gonna look to the right or the left. I'm just gonna do the next right thing. I'm just gonna put one foot in front of the other, which is exactly what Ezekiel did. So I did what God told me to do. I prophesied. In other words, I said, God is good. And I held on to hope because my hope is Jesus, not my circumstances. I prophesied as I was commanded. And as I prophesied, there was a sound and behold, a rattling. I love that. And the bones came together bone to bone. And I looked and behold, there were sinews upon them and flesh had come upon them and skin covered them, but there was no breath in them. And then he said to me, prophesy to the breath. Prophesy, son of man, and say to the breath, thus says the Lord God, come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe on these slain that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me, and the breath came into them, and they lived and stood on their feet, an exceedingly great army. He, he takes a 12-year-old, and he brings Emmanuel from a little girl who had no real fertility, He takes a motley crew of disciples and breathes clarity into that chaos and confusion. He breathes pure light out of pitch black. He he breathes a sanctuary out of a cemetery. Nobody brought him potential. There was nothing special there until God said, I will have mercy on this and I'm a good God and my character is to redeem and to restore. My pulmonologist came into my room the third day after they had stabilized me and it was clear that I wasn't gonna meet Jesus that week. And he said, Lisa, I am so sorry. One of the nurses just told me what you do vocationally. She told me that you're like a lady preacher, that you travel around and you talk about Jesus. And he said, I just, I just don't want to give you any false hope. He said, the type of pneumonia you had, it has eviscerated your lungs, has really compromised your lungs. And he said, it is a miracle that you survived, but you are never going to be able to speak again. Your lungs are so shredded, you're not going to be able to hold more than about two minutes of residual air. He said, you will likely be on an oxygen tank for the rest of your life. I want you to focus on the fact that you're alive but you're not gonna be able to speak anymore. I'm sure some of you might even now be praying, Lord, she seems very long-winded. <laughs> I couldn't speak at that point. I could really only whisper. 
And I said, doctor, thank you so much for saving my life. I said, I will be forever grateful to you for saving my life. I said, but with all due respect, you don't have the right to tell me that I won't be able to talk about Jesus in my future. And I said, doctor, do you know the, the Greek word for Holy Spirit in the New Testament? I knew my doctor was a believing man and he looked at me like I had three heads. And I said, it's pneuma. It's where we get pneumonia from. I said, it's pneuma, it means breath. And I said, doctor, God is the one who will decide whether I have breath in my future. I saw that exact same doctor on Thursday, three hours before I got on a plane to come here. And he said, Lisa, <laughs> if I wasn't sitting in my office looking at you, I would not believe it. He said, your, your recovery is nothing short of miraculous. He said, your lungs are almost normal. He said, they're almost normal. I'm not gonna be hiking Everest, but he said, they're almost normal. He said, you can hold a lot of breath. And I said, Doc, people have been telling me that my whole life. I am a windbag. I hope none of y'all ever struggle with this thing called COVID. I hope your lungs stay strong, but I know like I know my name, some of you are all but out of air in your heart. You are running on fumes in your heart. I'm here to tell you he sees that and he loves you and he's not mad at you and you don't have to conjure up faith. You can in this moment say, Lord, I have nothing, but I trust in you. My hope is in you. And tonight I need you to breathe vibrancy out of void in my marriage with my prodigal who I love and I've prayed until I don't have any prayers left. Lord, I need you to bring, breathe vibrancy out of void in my life. Pastor's gonna come up and he's gonna pray over you. I wanna ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes and I acknowledge I don't have the right to boss y'all. I'm a guest in this house. But if you would, um, just for one more moment, put up with me and bow your heads and close your eyes. And I'm gonna ask you to be real honest. We did this a lot this weekend. And I'm just gonna ask you if you are in a season where you feel like your heart's almost out of breath, you're just weary. It's been a long season. Your heart's tired. Would you just slip up your right or your left hand so Pastor Craig can see who he's praying for? Nobody looking around. Just, just if you need help tonight. Yes. You need to be reminded in a tangible way that God sees you, he loves you, and he has enough to carry you where he's called you to be. Just keep your hands raised and pastor's gonna pray for y'all. And even on the Land of Lakes campus right now, God, you see every hand. God, you know every hair on our head. You know every need we have. Lord, I pray for those, first of all, God, that feel empty, that feel out of breath. Lord, we thank you for the promise of your word that those who wait upon the Lord, God, they will renew their strength. And God, I pray right now that your Holy Spirit, not us, not by our power, not by our might, but Holy Spirit of God, 
you see these hands, that you would fill every void, every bit of emptiness. God, that you would bring purpose in life. God, that you would resurrect on the inside, God, your dream in their life. Lord God, where they have felt weak, And being raised. God, I pray that that day, even tomorrow, will be different in Jesus' name. Lord, we just invite you into our situation. We invite you into our brokenness. God, we invite you into even our addictions. God, whatever it may be, God, we invite you in right now to do only what you can do. God, you have begun a good work. And God, you will finish that work. And God, I pray for those who think that their life is finished, it is not finished. God, you will finish the work you've started in Jesus' name. God, you are the author and the perfecter of our faith. And we thank you, God, for these who are willing to just lift their hands and say, God, I need more. I need more of you, more of your strength. I've tried to do it on my own. I can't do it any longer. Jesus, come and fill me. I need you right now. And God, I pray for those maybe who don't know you, Jesus. God, that are here today. And God, we're reminded that you said you stand at the door and you knock. And God, I know you're knocking on the door. And they've heard that knock. They've had friends and neighbors and, and people talk to them about you. And God, they've waited, they've procrastinated. But God, today is a day of salvation. Lord, we know now is the appointed time. And so, Father, we pray, even as that door right now, they sense that knock on the door. God, that they would open the door. And your promises, Lord, that you'll come in. And you'll sup with them and you'll have a relationship with them. God, you, we come to you as we are. God, we can't get cleaned up for you. We come as we are in all our brokenness, Lord. And then, Lord, you fill us with grace and power and purpose. Lord, we thank you, God, that you forgive our past and you give us hope for today. And God, we can know we have a secure future with you. So, Lord, we just pray for those for the first time, even right now, they would just say this, Jesus, I open the door of my life. I ask you to come in. I believe you are my savior. You're the only one that can forgive me of sin. So Jesus, thank you right now for forgiving me. And I'm gonna trust you from this day forward. I'm gonna follow you from this day forward. God, give me the power I need to live the new life you call me to live. I welcome you, Holy Spirit, to come into my life right now. In Jesus' name, amen.